Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through M&A projects where we've been involved in the course of our careers, unpacking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose in doing this is to leave you, the listener, with valuable lessons and experiences that you can use in your own M&A projects. So without wasting any more time, let's get this podcast underway. It's been a few weeks now, but how's things in Sydney? Well, <laughs> fine, fine, Rob. <laughs> I should say that uh, you and I have something to celebrate because we're coming out of lockdown. Same here. And, I mean, we've suddenly got this newfound liberty, and which which is great. You no, know? it's also uh, good to know that I don't think we're a tyrannical sort of type country here, unlike the way we're painted over in the United States by some Republican individuals. Yeah, and of course, he's at the minute don't mention submarines. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, don't mention <laughs> submarines. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, I was just looking back because it is three or four weeks since we yeah. did the podcast and we were talking about leadership last time and, and yes. when we left off you'd said look there's there's four types of leader in yeah. a, an MA integration project. So we're yeah. talking post deal. So yes. after the deal's done, right? Yeah. And you've suddenly got that task of bringing all of the value together. Yeah. And you made me think, and I was just reading some of the stuff you'd written previously, yeah. and you're right, there's there's horses for courses, so to speak, mm-hmm. in that there's, and I think you said there's four different types. Yes. But it seems that each one of those types has got a role to play depending on the attributes of the deal. Indeed, indeed, yes. Um, and that each one can be relevant and, and mm. valuable Yes. But if you get the wrong type on the wrong deal, it could be disastrous. Indeed it can. That's true. That's true, Rob. And to be honest, and that's what I've observed, what you're just discussing there is something I've observed over the last 20 years when it comes to what I've been doing in terms of supporting M&A-related projects. Yeah. Now, you break it down into four different types. Yes, Do you want to just lay those out? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll just preface this because I think this is all about leadership and you and I have been talking a lot about is leadership because that's where it all stops. A failed deal is a failure in leadership. Everything comes back down to leadership and it's such an important thing, you know, and I think you and I would agree that a very special leadership role is the person who makes a deal real. That person who grabs hold of that baton and leads the deal while it closes through the closing and beyond. Yeah, so let's just be clear. What we're talking about here is the leadership that turns the deal into operational reality. That's right. That's the guy that bolts the two businesses together or does whatever needs to be done to, to... actually achieve all of the value that is available in the integration. I would say it's like like all things M&A. What you get in M&A is a promissory note. It takes this particular leader to cash it in. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a good way of describing it. Mm. So this is the person who actually cashes the check. Yep, and delivers the value. And delivers yep. the value. Yep. And I see there are four types of leader. Yep. And you've got to 
just just take the names I've given them and we'll go into each type. Here we go. Yep. The rookie. Okay. The project manager. Yep. The integrator. Yep. And number four, the innovator. Now, I'm going to make a guess here. I think I know where I fit. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually think I know where you fit as well. Well, it'd be interesting. We have to compare notes. Let's break them down in terms of giving a a sort of an example of them. But the first thing I'm going to throw in as a challenge is there'll be people out there listening to this podcast and they'll go, okay, well, a rookie... Now, a rookie's not going to have a role to play in an M&A. They're going to have to be just a junior on a project that's led by somebody else. The rookie's got no role whatsoever, and it's bloody dangerous putting them into a, an M&A project, period. Mm. Will you be surprised, Rob? Well, that's what I think you're about to say. That's <laughs> you, not you'd be surprised. The thing yeah. is, you see, is that you and I are talking from experience because we've done this sort of work before several yeah. times over. You've got to recognize that there are organizations who've never done M&A before in their lives. It's all new to them how the process works and getting properly advised, of course, as they go through in terms of from a transaction perspective. But when it comes to integration, they may say, well, look, there's not much to do. We've just got to whack the two business together. Charlie yep. in finance, he's all right. He can run with it. So why not get Charlie to do it? He's just got to whack the two business together and we should be fine. And I've been in that position. I remember the very first acquisition I did. Yep. And I was thrown in there by the chairman of Dunlop at the time. Mm. And I was completely green. But what I will say is yep. that that particular chairman was extremely supportive in helping them, coaching me through that process. But it, and, and if I'm honest about it, I look back on that very first one. Mm. It was it was fairly simple. Well, this is it. And look, I think that a lot of people listening to this will say, "Well, look, I started as a rookie. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know really what I was doing. I was yeah. thrown into the deep end. I didn't have any sort of particular skills or knowledge or M and A, not even in project management, to be honest. But I coped, and I got through, and I learned a heck of a lot. Yeah, and I think what you and I fit into, just mm. hearing you talk about that, is we were young." eager, Mm. willing to learn, and intelligent enough to be able to work our way through the process. In other words, we weren't impacted by what you've referred to previously as the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, now this is is a dangerous part you see here, Rob, is that if you're willing and eager and you're aware of your own shortcomings and you're willing to learn, then that's, that's a good thing. The dangerous side to this, and there's a downside to each of these roles, the dangerous side to the rookie is that they might actually think they do know, but they know it all and they understand and they're not aware of their own, their own shortcomings. Yeah. They've got no situational awareness. And if things do go wrong, they're the sort of person potentially who could start blaming other people or process or events, anything other than him or herself. It's interesting what you've just said about the quality of a rookie knowing when to ask for help or or, or yes. whatever. I'm going to I'm going to add, actually add to that because I think that quality flows through all four of the integration leadership types that you're going yes. to talk about. Because yes. at the end of the day, even as a experienced practitioner, one of the best things that you can do if you're really faced with something that you don't know something about 
Yeah. Is admit it and ask, say, exactly. I, I don't know anything about this. Yeah. Have we got anybody in the business that can help us with this particular part of it? Mm. It's, it's one of the biggest strengths that you can have. It is, and, yes. And yet, I agree. People often see it as a weakness. Indeed, yes, I know. It's, it's one of those funny things. And this is where we get this danger where people don't ask questions and go through this sort of like, know it all, I know what to do, don't ask questions, and that's dangerous. Now, it could be, sometimes they could be so emotionally empty that they actually don't even know that they're, they don't, they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> yeah. That, now that is dangerous. And I, ha- I haven't seen them very often. And I'd call that person <sighs> a sociopath. They do exist. I have worked with one or two sociopaths in my working career. Yeah. Very rare, but they do exist. And uh, yes, I've, that's- I've, I've also noticed a direct correlation that in any MA project, yeah. there's always a room with a big pile of smelly stuff and a great big fan. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you get those sort of people, those Dunning-Kruger type people in a project, yeah. Yeah. they actually cause so much damage that when that eventually raises its head, mm. that fan goes straight from stop to full speed. Yes, I know. No, and this right. is it. And to be honest, I think when it looks for the very big, m disasters that we've covered, uh, Rob, I think there were rookies there who did what they were doing, well, weren't going to admit did. it, and had a total disregard for other people and the consequences of their actions. So if we wrap this up then, Rocky has got a great place to play. Yes. They need to be working on projects that are relatively straightforward. Yes, I think the sort of deals, Rob, that – Really, there isn't actually that much work to do. They're more strategic in nature, so there's not much work to do post-completion. Yep. And I use an example, like in my notes here that I've given to you, like bolt-on deals, which is the approach favored by many PE firms. Yes. Yep. And often in that case, you're not really integrating. You may integrate some administrative aspects, but not a lot. Yep. And managing a portfolio of businesses. In that case, in a rookie, is fine. Great. Okay. So, great learning point for any rookies, and yeah. clearly bolt-ons and those sort of yep. things are the best place for them. Yeah, but let's, let's move to the next category. Yes, the project manager. Yep. Now, I kind of get a sense, and I don't know what you think here, Rob, but I think a, a, the majority of people who work in integration fall into this category because it's generally understood within the industry that post-merger integration is primarily seen as a project management function. And when we say that, what we mean is that it's the whole planning, organizing, and running of projects. So it's having order, predictability, type management disciplines, giving people assignments, common formats, discipline time, all the things that project managers are good at. Yeah, it's the classic structured approach that's got deadlines and timelines and events and activities and people attached to it. Gantt charts, critical paths, and um, people love it because it's it's well understood. There's a challenge here, though, and one of my observations from what I've seen, I've seen this type of integration manager in play yeah and, and again there's a, there's a place for them yeah know, there are certain projects where these people do well yep but 
again, I come back to the fact that that's fine as long as you're going from Sydney to Wollongong. Yep. And exactly the road you're going to go on. Yes. Right? And you're going to do it in abeyance with all the speed rules. And yep. it's going to take you three and a half hours to get there. Yes. The minute there's any deviation or there's some irregularities, yes, I, I would argue that this sort of person then loses their capability because they, they're used to dealing with the status quo. They've got a yes. fixed approach. And I, I think you're right. You, you, you've, hit the, you've hit the hammer on the nail here. It's all about <clears throat> continuity. Not opportunity, yeah. continuity. No. Yeah, they're consistent. It's they, they, basically maintaining the status quo, and the project manager is great if you're looking for efficiency, standardization, continuity, as you say, and we just got to get the work done and get out and realize those cost synergies. So like if you're saving people, saving money on technology, offices, vendors, all that sort of stuff, suppliers. What's coming to my head, and this is probably disrespectful to the big four, but it is classic big four territory. They've got a playbook. They give it to some guy who's the project manager. And he starts at page one and follows it through to page 50. It is classic playbook checklist template world yep but again for those t- what we call tuck-in type deals yes where one large company's absorbing a smaller one for example yeah, yeah. right project managers are ideal people absolutely and to be honest rob there's a lot of deals that are just like this and that's what they're looking for and the project manager is the ideal leadership type person Tuck-in deals or scale deals, as often I sometimes refer to them as, they're they're fine for this for this sort of type of person. They're fine. Yeah. Now, the next one is where I think I fit. <laughs> Interesting enough, you say that this is where I fit too. Um, uh, I think no, you fit into the last one. Uh, okay. All right. Well, we'll see. I I, I actually put my more so. More but so. anyway, I, let's let's carry on. Okay, yep. You integrator. You you. Yeah, so for me, this is the individual. Uh, they've got deep experience. They they are bringing together two corporate entities. Mm. There's a vision that has to be achieved. Yeah, the board have set some expectations in terms of where the value is going to be created. There are commercial considerations as well yes. as operational considerations. It involves quite a bit of people-focused work. Yes, um, some of it short-term wins, some of it's long-term, you know, effects. Yes, uh, you've got strategic and value drivers. It's complex. Let's put it that way. Yes, it, yes. It, it, it's complex. Probably underselling myself, but it's a project manager on steroids. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I I think it's going beyond project management because you're not it dealing is. with objectives. You're dealing with outcomes. Yes, and, that's and, it. That's and it. Yeah, and it's commercial yep. outcomes. It's not well. Did we finish this um, exercise on time, on budget, and to specification? The the question really is. 
how much money did we make from this and what what yeah. value have we delivered to, to the business long term did we bring both those sales teams together and did that achieve the 50 million dollars worth of um, cross sell and upsell opportunity that we saw from the marketplace and, yes yeah how, so. how, is is the product that we is a new product portfolio delivering the revenues that we were um, yeah. anticipating and what more revenues could we be achieving so that's the sort of thing the integrator would be asking so this sort of individual is somebody who's got quite a bit of experience under their belt. They're able to operate from board level at one end right down to shop floor at the other. Yes, yes. They keep the vision and the strategy of what's got to be achieved front and center of mind. Mm. And they're able to translate that into actions and priorities and activities that then drive that value across yes. the deal life cycle. Yes. And, you know, it's mentioned some key words there, Rob, you know, it's absolutely key. It's all about value. Yes. It's value. Where's the value? What's the value? Yep. Choose the value. It's yep. always find the value and then select the value and then deliver the value. It's a value-driven exercise and the language it's not about so much about time and cost and other but where no. the value is and, and what priorities on that value. And when you take that perspective, sometimes what the project manager does is not what you should be doing because that might not be where the value is. Yeah, you mentioned an interesting thing there as well, and that is the language, because the integrator, whilst they're working from board level to shop floor all the time, a lot of their language that they use is directed at the board or the executive leadership team in yes. terms of progress and achievement of value and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, whereas the project manager we talked about beforehand would tend to be more staying at the operational level. Yes, exactly. And and I think you're right. The, the, the integrator is commercial. They're, they're very commercially focused. Yeah, yeah, um, I would agree. Mm. Now, moving on from there, we've got the last option. I actually think this is where you fit. <laughs> By the yeah, way, I, I, yeah. I, I have been in this role on a number right. of occasions. Yeah. But somebody said to me, Here's 10 projects. Find the ones that fit in your comfort zone. Yeah. I'm the integrator. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. Now, and this one, actually, in fact, I think would, would fall out of the comfort zone of a lot of people. But anyway, so we've gone through the rookie, yep. the project manager, the integrator, yep. and the final one, the innovator. Yeah. So you give me your definition. What do you think? Okay. What, what's an innovator? Well, I will say that if I compare it with the integrator, the integrator you can think of, he, that person, he or she, always looks at M&A as a, a transformational opportunity. They, they're a transformer. Yep. The innovator, I would call a creator. They yep. create value. So they're going beyond where the value is. If we just backtrack and just explain the innovator, why this is such a special person, and why they can be so valuable for certain types of deals is that so often in M&A, we often describe value in terms of what's known, articulated, and baked into the deal. Brilliant. And we yeah. go ahead and do the deals. We work out the synergies and we deliver upon them. But for a lot of organizations, they're actually looking for M&A, not, not just as a way of delivering growth. They actually want to 
create a new business model that actually achieves something long-term, a new sustainable way of delivering growth. And that's where they're looking for M&A to disrupt what they do. They're looking to M&A to escape their own legacy past, which natural fact is holding them back and makes them ill-prepared for this modern disruptive economy. They want to use M&A to reinvent what they do because if they don't, they're not going to be in existence. They're going to get disrupted or they're, not, they're going to be irrelevant. They yeah. know they must change what they do. I, I've got a, an, an analogy that's just dropped into my yep. head, and I'll test it out with you. Okay. In, in a lot of projects that I've been involved in at the integrator level, Yes, I've sat down with the board, and there's been a vision. Hmm. And you've often heard me talk about jigsaw puzzles and the picture yes. on the jigsaw puzzle. The board can describe that vision in hmm. in some sort of detail. Yes, and a good integrator is able to look at that picture and go, "Okay, I know how to bring together all the moving parts that are in these respective businesses and hmm. mold them together so that that picture materializes." Yes, in the innovators' world. There's a vision, but some of it's cloudy. You can't quite see what's there yet. Yes, yes. And the innovator's got this ability to look at the acquisition and the existing business and be able to see the creative opportunity that can be achieved by bringing these two entities together. Yes, that's right. They can see the different ways of doing things compared yep. to the past. So it's actually yep. doing things differently. It's, it's brand new stuff. It's stuff that we're not just saying we're going to bring product line A and product line B together and no. sell no. them both through the existing retail chains. Yeah. This is sometimes saying we've got a skill set now of the combined businesses which allows us to go and tackle a completely new market or drive a completely new set of product design or development that, that wasn't even possible before we started. Yes, indeed. And when we talk about all of this, Rob, what we're really talking about is not so much products and services or operations per se. We're talking about the very business model itself. Yeah. And and the capabilities that are required, yeah. So to you're, support that you're, business model. You're talking about things like even the go-to-market methodology and the yeah. the whole box of dice, yeah. the, the raison d'être for the business changing through innovation. And you see a lot of this, Rob. You know, like in tech firms, like for example, if there's is an up-and-coming industry, and some uh, company perhaps is more legacy says, "Well, look, we got to catch up, or we got to break through, and and be part of this new economic future." They may acquire a company that's got a fantastic business model and say, "We want to be that business. We're buying that business model." Yep. Yeah. Well, just going back to the preamble before we started Mm. this podcast, one of the things you mentioned is that in a lot of circumstances, the innovator as a leader Mm. has often built a business himself in the first place. Yeah, so it's quite often. And this is where I've actually had personal experience with because I've dealt with people who in actual fact came in the role as an innovator because they were an entrepreneur in the past. They've actually uh, developed a business themselves, built it up, sold, 
and made a lot of money. Yeah. And now yeah. they've come in to another organization and they're going to do the same thing again through their entrepreneurial ability to <coughs> see opportunity, to oh. see change and, yeah. and bring it forward. They're, they're a dynamic individual, very much focused on the customer, continually focused on brand experience, value propositions, but very much sort of looking for different ways of delivering compared to the past. You, you just made a statement earlier that really puts it in perspective, mm. right? Those sort of people come in and they see the opportunity and are able to quantify the opportunity that nobody else can see. They've got that entrepreneurial spirit. Yes, yes. And that's right. whereas, whereas an integrator like me yeah. will come in and go, right, I've got, uh, a company worth two on one side and a company worth three on the other side. Yeah. So I'm going to make sure that two plus three equals seven. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. The innovator comes in and says, no, damn that. I can actually make this worth 12. Yes. And we're going to do it in a completely different way than just bolting these various products together. That's right. That's right. right. It's a yeah. particularly uh, interesting individual, this. And, um, <laughs> Not the right person, by the way, for just what we just mentioned. We talk about this particular person. This person is good for certain types of bid deals, but not good for others. Well, I think that's the message all the way through this, isn't yeah. it? Is that it is. for each particular type of deal, mm. one of these four roles is, is best suited. Yes. And yes. I, I mean, I would dare go and say that if you found 100 M&A integration managers, mm and put them all in the room, mm. I would be brave enough to say I would think only five to ten of them would actually fit into the um, innovator. Yes. Mm. Yep. You know, they're, they're exceptional people. Yep. They're few and far between. Mm. And, well, they're like us. They're grey-haired, balding, um, <laughs> and they've got more scars than you can possibly imagine of experience. Indeed, indeed. Um, but they've got that added sixth sense. Yes. And it's the ability to see the things that other people can't. Yes, yes, indeed. And look, I should say, uh, Rob, the innovator is very good for what I refer to as scope deals that are specifically focused on business model business model change and capability change. So if you're looking to change your business model or looking to change the very capabilities that drive your business, that's where an innovator is good. Just to summarize this, yeah. if I call out the deal type, okay. let, let's have you respond with which of those four categories, okay. right? right? So when we're talking about bolt-ons. Right. Well, I would say, uh, I'd say, generally speaking, a rookie is fine. Someone who has had small, yep. minimal experience, generally speaking, oh. that's a good way to get to, for, for someone who wants to cut their teeth in, into this and, and get some experience. A rookie is yep. great. Okay. Now, slightly moving on from that, tuck-ins. Well, for tuck-in, where you're looking for cost savings, you just simply want to bring two businesses and, and uh, realize the cost synergies, the basic back-office type synergies that a project manager is fine. <sighs> yeah. Now, one of the areas that I've been involved in for a bit is industry consolidation. And sometimes that can – well, I'll let you comment. What are you, what's your thoughts in terms well, of the right role for that? 
I think it depends. If, like all these things, if it's the industry consolidation is a straightforward a consolidation of two large firms who have yep. a very, very similar operating and business model, in other words, almost identical in terms of the way they work, yep. then a project manager, broadly speaking, is is a good person who can get this work done. Yep. But if there is um, some subtle changes in the operations between the two firms, and perhaps their product portfolios are quite different, I think you're going to start seeing some operating model changes. And I think if you got yes. that, then you really then do need someone like an integrator. Right. The now, integrator would be the better person. Yep, I, I tend to agree. Yep. Now, um, and if we actually thinking about that in my experience, product-focused scope deals mm. where you've got market acquisitions, mm. Mm. Uh, you're moving into new markets, you've got two product lines coming together where there's some synergies, but you're growing new customer base, new markets, new Mm. territories. Mm. Um, That's the integrator, isn't it? Yes, you need someone a good deal more commercial than than what a project manager might be. And that's where the integrator would be the better person, whether it's product or market acquisition, growing new channels, new geographies, the integrator would be your best bet. So that leaves the more complex deals where yes. you're acquiring a capability that you don't have yes and it's therefore opening up new possibilities across many categories not just geographic but customer base product innovation and so yeah. on yeah or where you're significantly changing the business model yes so, and I think that's where you're saying the innovator. The is. innovator, yes. And so yeah. if you can get a person who fits that bill, the innovator, then that would be the person to lead your, your post-deal integration work. And this is where things go wrong, Rob, because if you get a project manager to do this work, this is oh. where you're going to start leaving value on the table because they won't see the opportunity that the innovator would. So what it comes down to from my point of view, just to wrap this up and summarize, is that if you're about to make a deal, yes, right, long before that deal's closed, you need to be thinking about what sort of animal you need leading the project post-deal. And you need to think about their job description. So what is the job description we're looking for? Yeah. Because well, I'm pretty sure Rob's seen this, and usually the job description appears to be pretty vanilla in terms of what they're looking for. Uh, And it's not like that. Yes, some deals do require um, a project manager and project manager capabilities, but a lot of deals, it's a good deal more than that. They they want to have people who've got good commercial sense, who understand value, understand the opportunities that through sales or through marketing, through brand, through uh, value propositions. So they're looking for a good deal more than what a project manager ordinarily might be able to offer. I, I agree. And it's a sort of a two-way street in one sense because that will define for you what type of which of those four categories you need. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Because again, what we've said it, the rookie's got a great place to play if it's fairly simple and minimal integration. Yes. The project manager's a great guy if you're basically just looking for cost savings and synergies. Yes. Right. Once you start to bring in commercial aspects and revenue growth and regional, you know, expansion and geographic stuff and all that sort of thing, yeah. you want the the integrator. And yes. of course, then when you're looking to truly change the nature of the business 
and to seize opportunity that you didn't have before, then mm. the innovator's got to be there. You've, but, you've summed it up very well there, Rob. But I think the bottom line of all this is get that right get up front. Absolutely. Up front. Get that job description because you're dealing with yeah. a special leader for special times. So put the effort into getting the job description right for the sort of leader that you're looking for. The thoughts just dropped into my head as well. Mm. Because if you get that right, then whichever one of those categories you choose, that individual is then going to be instrumental in choosing the the team, the other people that work alongside them yes. on, on that project. Yes. And if you get the wrong person leading the project, shall we say, yep. they're going to bring equally the wrong people along with them. Indeed, indeed. You see, this ultimately, it's a very important leadership role because really what this person does is shepherding a whole bunch of people through an unknown rocky territory yeah. into a future which is, is not clear. Yeah, And so you really do need that special leader and choose it because that leader will choose the followers that will to go along right. through this journey and they could yeah. be choosing the wrong followers. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Toby, that's been a terrific conversation as always. I actually think we should take this paper that you've started to write and, yeah. and turn that into an article that we could probably link to the podcast when it's I produced. think we should. I think we should. Yeah. yeah I think that, um, that the onus is on me to do this. Because that's really got some interesting commentary in there. Uh, and I don't think you're far off it, actually. I'm just looking at it now. It's no, actually, I will. Just, I'll, you know. I'll, 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 I'll turn it into an, a proper article. And I think what we should try and do is we're, we're, it's November now, two or three other podcasts before we end the year. And maybe we should try and just jot down what they are and record them for everybody's benefit and yep. uh, see where we end up at the end of the year. Indeed, indeed. It's been a pleasure, Toby, as always. Yes, likewise, Rob. Good talking to you. And all that leaves then is from my side is to say bye for now. And bye for me as well. <laughs> <laughs>